Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor, an emergency episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp. On the other line, still in Las Vegas, I'm not convinced that you are ever leaving Las Vegas, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. All we've got is the memories, the brilliant, (laughs) brilliant memories. Of course, I'm speaking about Tim Duncan 30 points, 17 rebounds in Game 6 of the 2013 Finals, completely let down by Popovich. Otherwise, he would have had the ring in that game. I'm thinking about 2014, his unbelievable 19 points and 16 rebounds to close out the Thunder in the Western Conference Finals. And what did he do, Andrew? Like a true legend, he guaranteed a Finals victory over LeBron and then delivered All we've got are these memories because Kawhi Leonard is gone. It's time to remember the Spurs just like we remember the Alamo. Bury them. I can't deal with this new lineup of LaMarcus and DeMar. They even (laughs) traded Danny Green, Andrew. You know I love Danny Green. What is happening? Oh, all right. Well, listen, here's what we're going to do today. We've got 40 minutes and then you have to jump on the radio and then you're hitting the road to go to a national park and do your Ranger Rick thing for the next four or five days. So I'm just going to start with this question from Zach and then we'll just kind of freestyle it for the next 35 or 40 minutes. So Zach says, From the highest highs of Portland winning the Summer League Championship to the lowest lows of having Ben's most hated player joining the monastery, I am hoping that Andrew is in constant contact with Ben all morning long to help him process his emotions. And that's that's what I'm here for. That's why we're doing the emergency podcast. What do you think, man? How how are you holding up with everything that's happened to the Spurs right now? Look, everyone can rest easy. I'm okay, all right, Andrew? I don't get really emotional. (laughs) This isn't like a Dwight Howard situation for you there in Washington. I think my main takeaway, he's actually on the Raptors' side. I mean, the Spurs, you know, this is a monumental trade for them. It completely blows up where everyone thought their franchise was going for the next 10 years. It kills a narrative about handing the torch from Robinson to Duncan to Kawhi that had been sort of, you know, percolating there for a few years. But I think this trade is actually a much bigger deal from Toronto's perspective. I love this deal for Masai Ujiri. Not only are you upgrading, obviously, from uh, DeMar DeRozan to Kawhi Leonard, and you know, assuming Kawhi is healthy or, or reasonably healthy, that is a massive upgrade, uh, especially yes. in the playoffs. But you're adding a guy in Danny Green who's also an experienced playoff player, a really quality defensive guy, you know, someone who you can sick on opposing teams' point guards in playoff matchups and show them some length. And now you're getting into some really creative lineups where you could play Lowry, Green, Leonard, you know, OG, Pascal. Uh, you know, I, I think the the next move really for Toronto is to try to go get whatever those crazy German procedures are done on Sergi Baca, because then their team would be really nice if they could give him some of that, uh, you know, special knee treatment uh, that, that has been going around in recent years. But sure. even Ibaka, regardless. This roster now has some really, really nice and modern five-man groups that they can throw out there together. And when you're looking at a team that hit a very hard ceiling in the playoffs in the last couple of years and was stuck with some pretty big contracts that looked difficult to move, whether it's Lowry, 
uh, or DeRozan to be able to come out of this summer with you know basically the second or third biggest catch of the entire uh, offseason uh, without parting with any you know meaningful part of sort of a championship type rotation I mean DeMar was just never going to be that guy they sat him down in yeah. the playoffs uh, because they were better without him when their entire season was on the line he was riding the bench and that wasn't like Casey losing his mind that wasn't a bad decision that was the right decision. And so I think when you're looking at biggest offseason winners, I put Masai Ujiri right at the top of the list. I like taking the risk. Uh, I like trying to coax Kawhi Leonard into uh, you know making Canada his own. You know, We'll see how that works. But in terms of a short-term move to position for a title, uh, I love it for Toronto. Yeah, I agree with you. I have uh, a number of different sort of angles i just filed a, a big winners and losers column uh quickly after trying to sort of pick the pieces of my brain up this morning uh once this finally happened i do i like it for toronto i do think that there are gonna be a lot of real concerns to to kind of process and talk through once the like initial buzz wears off because we haven't seen Kawhi look healthy for more than a year and you know, I think in theory the the roster that you're describing sounds awesome. I it, but it it also like Kawhi is the biggest wild card in the league going into next season, and that's why the price here was so low. I do think, regardless as a gamble, it's clearly a win for Toronto and Masai. I mean, the whole problem that they've had over the last few years is that you weren't going to be able to trade. DeMar and and or Lowry for anyone who could bring back comparable value like those guys had a lot more value just churning out 50 win seasons in Toronto than they than they were going to have on the open market and and this is the exception to that rule and get and getting a player that is as awesome as Kawhi when he's healthy is worth it and if it doesn't work I feel like this is just going to be kind of a bridge to a new era that they were considering anyways. I mean, they, they were, at, when you go back to the, the sweep, every option was on the table. People were already talking about whether this team should just blow it up and try to rebuild. And that's that option is still going to be viable 12 months from now. The difference is, is now you have like a super high upside gamble for the next year. And I think like the, the next year, that next year's Raptors are more exciting than any of the last three or four years we've had to talk about. Oh, not only just the last three or four years, their entire franchise history. I mean, I understand why Raptors fans would be emotionally hurt losing a guy like DeMar DeRozan, amazing person in the community, amazing ambassador for that organization. You know, he, he yeah. kind of put them on the map, right? But look, you're trying to build a contender, not build your book club group, okay? You need to have a guy who's going to be able to get it done in the postseason. Kawhi Leonard's been there before. Uh, he can shoot in ways that uh, DeMar will never be able to shoot. He's a better isolation scorer. Uh, I, I like the pairing with Lowry. I think they're going to be able to strike a right balance. And, you know, theoretically, he's in his prime. To me, Kawhi Leonard, if healthy, is the best player in the entire history of the Raptors franchise. He, he from, is. There's no from, question. From day one. So that's just a no-brainer. I mean, if there's okay. termites so, with their feelings hurt, I'm just saying set the emotions aside. Be, like, you know, very logical and, and put yourself in Masai's shoes and say, 
how often are the Raptors going to be able to you know be in position to add a top five NBA player? Uh, and so far, history says they've never been in that position in the entire history of their franchise. So you better do it. I agree with that. And I, I agree with what you said about DeRozan, too, in that, I mean, as a franchise guy, he was everything you could ask for. And I think particularly in that market where, like, Vince Carter ditched them after, like halfway through his career, Chris Bosh did the same thing, and DeRozan wasn't doing that and wasn't even really interested in that and did kind of methodically improve his game year over year and like as someone who's watched John Wall in Washington not really do that like I appreciate a superstar who's willing to kind of like put the work in and do a lot of the little things that he like if I were a Raptors fan I would be pretty sentimental over DeRozan he's been very cool for them but your point about like four or five minutes ago was was the right one, which is like if he's your best player, you, your ceiling is pretty clear. And I think over the last few years, it was beginning to get a little depressing, <laughs> as we've chronicled meticulously on this podcast. And uh, so I like the move even for kind of Raptors fans who love DeRozan. I think there are a lot of people out there who probably – feel all sorts of affection for him and we'll remember this era fondly and we're kind of ready to move on. So, I, And that's why, like, if you're Maasai, this was kind of like a, a can't-lose situation. Everybody was ready for a change. The one thing that I need to push back on, though, is, like, people are going to now start penciling in the Raptors as the second-best team in the East. And I understand that. And objectively... This is a huge win. They got to keep Siakam and Ananobi, and everything is great. But between you and me, look, we've been on this podcast talking about Kawhi for the last three months. Like, I'm not super confident in him showing up next season and being the guy that we saw at the end of his last healthy season when he was like running through the Grizzlies and was probably if not the most valuable player, Harden was your guy, but he was in the top three and one of the five best players alive. I don't know if he's going to get to that level again. I think that's a very fair concern. You know, obviously I've expressed a lot of angst, uh, you know, towards how he's behaved over the last year. And I think, I mean, the chickens really came home to roost for Uncle Dennis here. I mean, he really, (laughs) I don't know if he overplayed or underplayed or misplayed or, you know, botched his hand, but this did not go the way Uncle Dennis thought. Toronto's about as far from LA as you can get. Um, But I think if he can settle in, the roster is set up very nicely for him to still be the number one option. Uh, the pieces fit. He's going to have a point guard who can you know, help set him up. That's always good. He won't have to have the super-duper high usage because they play uh, you know, a very team-friendly and deep style at this point. Uh, and then I think defensively, that's really where they can shine. They have a lot of really impressive, versatile defenders, and uh, you know, it's going to be exciting to see what you know, their new coach, Nick Nurse, comes up with. Now, on the DeMar point about trading him and that being kind of a body blow for the fan base— I get it. You know, in 1995, the Blazers traded Clyde Drexler, franchise icon, for Otis Thorpe. Yeah, how'd that go? I mean, that, <laughs> did that, not age well. <laughs> but that's not what's happening here. They're trading a franchise icon for a dude who is potentially, you know, health permitting, very, very, very good. And I think when you match up like this Raptors roster with DeRozan versus the Celtics versus this Raptors roster with not only Kawhi, 
but also Danny Green versus the Celtics. The matchups look a lot better for Toronto. They definitely narrowed the gap there. And, you know, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Don't pencil them in. You know, I, I definitely want to see Kawhi play. I would love to see him show up to USA Basketball minicamp after this. That would be hilarious. Um, but <laughs> I, I would like to see him walk around. <laughs> you know, I would like to see yeah. whatever we could see from him. And But still, I think it's a risk worth taking if you're Masai because – DeRozan's contract to me was that bad like he's a great regular season player but he's not getting where you where you want to go at this stage of Lowry's career and I think it's just healthier for everyone if you break it up and you know I noticed DeMar tweeted something along the lines of you know ain't no loyalty in this game they'll sell you out quick for a little bit of nothing let me just parse that DeMar you're correct there's no loyalty in the NBA but you didn't get sold out for a little bit of nothing. You got sold out for Kawhi Leonard, who's a lot more uh, than a little bit of nothing. And I think once the emotions pass, hopefully he'll be able to process what Masai was thinking in in terms of this move. It's a rare opportunity for Toronto. And I think had he passed, uh, that would have been a bigger mistake than pulling the trigger. Yeah, I feel like DeMar's there's no loyalty in this game. That's like the go-to line for every star that gets traded at this point. And I'm glad that I don't think enough people care about the Raptors and the Raptors side of this and like DeMar's side of this to flood the market with think pieces about whether there's loyalty in pro sports. I think at this point we can all safely say there's no loyalty in pro sports. We get it. We understand and you're right. The other thing is, like, DeMar's going to the Spurs, which is still a better situation than you're going to find in 25 other places. And I, and I think, like, he's going to end up having a better experience than he probably realizes right now. This is not going to—this is not Blake Griffin going to Detroit. You know what I mean? Um well, the I other, do feel bad for him a little bit just because he's going to the show, you know. So the AAA All-Star true. nominations and the All-NBA stuff and being like, you know, Toronto is a really big city and kind of being the face of that group. I mean, from a marketing business standpoint, that's a hit, you know. I mean, yeah, DeMar well, is definitely he, going he to feel Toronto. it. I don't blame him for being pissed off. My only point is that he's not going to stay pissed off for the next couple of years, whereas other guys have really struggled. I mean, this is, this is not Isaiah Thomas – getting stuck with Cleveland and then going to the Lakers and now Denver. I mean, like, DeMar is going to be okay. I, Your point, though, on the all-star side of this, I thought about raising that in the column I wrote this morning, and I didn't have the heart to wonder whether DeMar will ever make another all-star game, but I feel like that's a valid question. Yeah, I would be surprised if he does, at least, you know, over the next couple of years during the course of this contract. That Western Conference backcourt group is just so deep. It's and impossible, yeah. On the on the pecking order, it's really hard to see. I mean, even if San Antonio does what they always do, which is, you know, put their maybe flawed players in position to be their their best selves, uh, I don't see DeMar being able to, you know, have the numbers and, and then being able to win enough uh, to be in that class. Yeah, well, I have a couple additional thoughts, and then we, sh- we should move to the San Antonio side of this. Um, number one, I want to give credit to a friend of mine who is a regular listener to the podcast and is like loosely connected to basketball, but is definitely not in this world professionally. But he did text me last week, uh, last Monday night, with info on this trade and maybe promise not to tweet about it, but he said a Kawhi Raptors trade is imminent 
And then a day later, he said it was uh, DeMar and Pirtle to the Spurs for Kawhi. Did not have the Danny Green side of it, but still, it was a great exclusive report from a real-life friend who is not really a basketball friend. And you... I had to keep it between you and me, but uh, but it was it's hilarious the way that this is all played out. Yeah, this is this is news to me, Andrew. So I don't know what are you doing here. I mean, you're supposed to be a media member. Can you drop some breadcrumbs? Can you give me a I heads did. up? I did. I did do my best to drop some breadcrumbs. Okay, I went on the radio in Toronto. It's like it's pretty real. Anyways, I'm just uh, messing with you. That's awesome. He, well, that's great. Let's. What's next? I mean, pump this guy up for more info so we can exactly, be on the, the cutting exactly. edge. I don't want to name him, but uh, shout out to to my source, um, Kawhi Deep Throat. Uh, shout out give- to Masai Ujiri, your source. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The other thing, though, I started to realize, because obviously we had a week in between that initial whisper that I heard and then the deal actually going down. I realized it was really going to happen for two reasons. Number one, there's nothing more perfectly Raptors than getting the perfect LeBron stopper like a month after LeBron leaves the East. Um, So it, it was fate in that respect. And also... You having to root for DeMar on the Spurs is is an angle that can't be underplayed. And I'm curious, if we can get real for a second, how good do you think San Antonio can actually be next season? Because I, I can see them taking this random mishmash of players and going out and winning like 53 games somehow. Um, I mean, you, you never can count out their ability to win, you know, 48 to 53 with basically anybody. But I think this trade works so much better on the spite angle and on the <laughs> and on the pride angle than it does on the basketball side of things. Right. Like, yeah. And I've had some fairly hot takes in the past. You know, I said DeMar wouldn't start for the Warriors. And I listed off a whole bunch of Western Conference guards, like three and D guys who I'd rather have in the playoffs than DeMar. And, you know, I'm not all the way in the camp of, like, I'd rather have Danny Green than DeMar. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm, like, 80% of the way there. I mean, if you're trying to <laughs> win a playoff series in the Western Conference, DeMar is not really going to help you very much. I think he is going to get exposed, uh, you know, assuming the, the Spurs make the playoffs. And I don't think that's a guarantee in ways that, you know, usually at least take a while to kind of unfold. Like, you know, usually he can, like, have some level of impact in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs when – you know, they're playing against, you know, third or fourth rate teams like the Wizards and, and the other teams like that. But, uh, you know, in the West, like he's going to get picked on and I don't see any way he's going to be able to improve enough as a defender to avoid that. And then offensively, I think he's going to be treated in a much more sophisticated fashion by opposing defenses where, you know, his weaknesses that we've been over time and time again are really going to show through. Mm-hmm. In terms of the pairing with uh, LaMarcus, you know, I think one thing you have to keep in mind is LaMarcus is going to view himself as the number one guy. He is going to want to eat a lot. And so I think there could be a little bit of tension there as they, you know, figure out that balance right off the top. I mean, LaMarcus was willing to take a backseat to Kawhi, but he's going to look at DeMar and think, okay, you know, I see the flaws in your game. I'm a better player than you. I should be the man. And he wasn't even totally willing to take a backseat to Kawhi. I mean, he was unhappy after that season, and it's going to be kind of an adventure because they. the other thing is they both like getting the ball in a lot of the same places, and they neither one of them are great creators, and it's really going to put 
Popovich's coaching to the test. And that's why, like, you mentioned the spite side of it. I do kind of like the idea of a pissed-off Spurs team coming out and just trying to win 55 games out of spite next year. And, like, who knows how close they will actually get to that bar. But uh, it this this was Pop not going gently into the night. He's not ready to just punt on the next couple years and play for, like, 2023. And I, I like that out of him. I, I would be more weirded out by Popovich who just sort of saw the bigger picture and was like, all right, let's fold up the tent and go home for the next few years. This It's going to be fun and weird to watch him try and make this work. Yeah, I mean, I think when you can't be great year after year after year like they were for decades, San Antonio's philosophy is clear here. Let's try to be good year after year after year, right? Stay in the mix, and then maybe that will you know put you happens. in a position to like you know get some other players in free agency or buy a trade. I mean, I think that's pretty clearly you know, what they're telegraphing here. And they've been doing that the last couple of years, you know, making veteran signings, guys like Pau Gasol and everyone else who, uh, you know, people have kind of crushed them for, but it does keep them in that mix at least. And it makes the most of whatever, you know, prime LaMarcus has left. You know, when I was saying spite though, I was thinking mostly about, you know, sending Kawhi uh, to Toronto where he's out of the conference. You're not hand delivering him to the Lakers. Uh, You know, you're basically saying like, look, we didn't appreciate how you handled the last year. So we're not going to do you any favors. We're not going to take into account what you've said you wanted. And now you're somebody else's problem. And right. I think from that standpoint, it was a <laughs> amazing success, right? I mean, like how, how many, like there's, <laughs> I mean, there's worse places to be, but like for San Antonio, like out of sight, out of mind, send them up to we, the North and let them deal with it. Yeah, it was a success. It wasn't quite the spite trade that you and I had been fantasizing about, which was basically sending him to either Sacramento or Phoenix and telling him to fuck off, uh, which is like, I'm sure was was probably the top priority for Popovich, like back when the, the, the Kings were randomly mentioned as a possibility. Um, but in general, you're right. I mean, Kawhi is not getting what he wants, and we had the Chris Haynes report that he does not really want to be in Toronto next year. Who knows how long that'll last, Um, but that's another risk on the Raptors' side. I do want to hit on a couple things. Number one, you mentioned hot takes. I listened back to our podcast this morning, and uh, you your take on, your your, your question really, does (laughs) Kawhi deserve to represent Team USA at this point in his career? That might be your hottest take of the summer, uh, and I, I didn't give it enough room to breathe, but I really appreciate you throwing that out there. Yeah, and look, now we traded him to Canada right on schedule. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, can I say one thing? I'm being a little bit mean in general, but on DeMar, the storyline last year before they collapsed and you know everyone their whole season got ruined in the playoffs was – Hey, we're playing a newer and smarter style of basketball. Demar's making, you know, modernizing changes to his game. He's not holding the ball as much. He's being a more willing passer. He's trying to develop the three-point shot. I mean, the easy way to summarize that is, you know, Demar was trying to be turned into a spur, right? Like essentially, that's what Toronto was trying to do. Like they're trying to get him out of this, you know, old-fangled style and get yeah. more towards the the beautiful game version that the Spurs were, you know, playing like, you know, three, four years ago. That's what they were trying to do. San Antonio should benefit from that and maybe even 
build on that. You know, I'm not talking myself into DeMar as being a great fit in San Antonio, but when you have a player whose limitations are so clear, San Antonio works with those guys very, very well. And I can see the progress that he made last year in terms of adapting his game, sort of continuing uh, into next season. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the ceiling is there. You mentioned, like, you know, can they be a 53-win team? To me, that seems a a little bit ambitious. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think San Antonio does also win here by not having the Kawhi cloud hanging. You know, it really yeah. does spoil your locker room. It spoils your team. It makes everybody kind of sit, you know, walk on eggshells and sit on the edge of their seat. They're uncomfortable. They don't know, is he coming back? Is he not? You know, what's going to happen? There's a level of finality that they receive in this trade, you know, that goes along with the, you know, incoming DeMar DeRozan, where at least they know who they are going forward. And that has value too. That's part of why I'm, optimistic on their side of things i mean i think that coming into the season knowing what you're actually going to be working with and granted you're also removing danny green but danny green had been kind of weirdly marginalized last season too and wasn't as effective for the spurs as he had been in years past and so like we'll see what he does in toronto but he wasn't as useful in san antonio anymore and i just think that there is some hidden value to coming in with like a couple stars that you know you can count on and then trying to build around them with everybody else. And look, I'm still a big DeJounte Murray guy and he's looked good in Seattle Summer League. So there's reasons for optimism. The other side of this though that I was thinking about this morning is the West playoff race is now more unforgiving than ever. I mean, like we can pencil in LeBron's Lakers, but I think like teams like the Nuggets teams like the Grizzlies, teams like the Clippers and Mavericks, who I guess were probably never that serious as threats to make the playoffs, but definitely like those teams are are going into next season with with that goal in mind. Like I a lot of them were probably telling themselves the Spurs are going to fall out of the playoff race and be totally screwed after Kawhi, and that's probably not going to happen now, right? I mean, it could. I think they're going to be right on that bubble, but I see at least 13 teams it's ridiculous. In the mix for the playoffs for eight seeds. I mean, I think outside of Phoenix and Sacramento, everybody else has a case. And, you know, we probably expect Memphis to fall off. You know, you probably expect Dallas and the Clippers to fall off. But I think they're going to all start the season, you know, with that expectation. Uh, you know, for San Antonio, I, you know, I, I think their ability to get by uh without Kawhi was truly impressive and they're always plugging in guys who just sort of fit you know they add Bellinelli uh you know Parker you know going away I actually think is going to be sort of addition by subtraction because they have better options there guys who have uh you know performed better you know over the last 12 months so you know yeah like the sort of honorary minutes you were giving him you know I think that's probably you know just fine to be moving forward without it I think ultimately it comes down to like, does Aldridge still have another all-NBA type season in him? Uh, how much does he like, you know, now being the guy for this team? And, you know, is he, you know, fully committed sort of emotionally and from a leadership perspective to sort of carry you through, you know, w- when you have tough times? But I still think they're going to be uh, an elite defense. You know, Popovich has got those guys drilled so well that, you know, even without Kawhi, they performed very, very well on that end of the basketball. And I think that's going to, uh, you know, continue, even though DeMar isn't a great individual defender, um, they're going to be able to sort of, you know, cover up for his lapses of of awareness and, uh, you know, his 
you know, tendency to take plays off. And they're going to be in a position where they're going to beat up on the bad teams and probably go 500 against good teams. And, and that's going to have you right in the bubble. I realize I'm being slightly wishy-washy here, but I don't think you can make declarative statements about, you know, the West's like six it's through 12 seeds. It's such a mess. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're just blowing smoke. I mean, if you really, you know, if you really I, I mean, think I you think know who if the order is being... going to be. Yeah, if we're being rational about it, what's actually going to happen is a couple guys are going to get hurt and the the herd will be thinned that way. And that's what happened last year. And that's probably the only way that this can go. I, I would add the Pelicans to that to that mix as a, as a team that could either be like the third best team or the 10th best team. And it's just going to be kind of wild um, to watch it all unfold. Can I uh, give you a depressing side angle to this, though? Please I mean, do. I'm looking for emotional Golliver. This is the closest we come to you being a real human, and I know the Spurs are near and dear to your heart, so hit me. No, I'm actually trying to twist the knife uh, into you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the Warriors win huge here, don't they? I mean, what you mean, say? Do they? I, I don't know if the Spurs were a realistic threat even with Kawhi, but sure. I mean, it's just one one more team that like could potentially steal four games in the playoff series if everything broke their way, right? And yeah, now, that's true. Poof, that's out the window. Yeah, and, and the Spurs you know, were always weirdly effective against the Warriors, and and in that respect, that threat is gone now. Yeah, and now you've got Kawhi in the Eastern Conference, so now you're you're only gonna have to deal with one of Boston or Toronto. I mean, if Toronto somehow does beat the Celtics in the playoffs next year, I think if you're Golden State, you're pretty excited about that because you have matchup advantages at at basically every position against the Raptors. So, you know, to me, like it's just one more just like kind of depressing turn for the light years group, you know? It's like, here we go. I'm like one more uh, team falling <laughs> off the pack behind them, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. I do have one big picture thought on the Spurs in general because it does feel like this is this is sort of the end of them as an elite team uh, now that Kawhi moves on and they're going to have a couple years here where they're going to be weird and interesting but the, it feels like the 20 year run of Spurs dominance is now over and um and the all we have thing... is the memories Andrew it's all we have <laughs> I know I know well and if we're getting nostalgic what I would say about the Spurs run and this year of Kawhi which we've sort of chronicled at every step but most of which, most of our discussion has been like jokes about how weird it's been and and questioning like Kawhi and what the hell is going on over there but i think big picture the lesson on the spurs side is that as much as we've talked about culture and we've lionized them for revolutionizing the game with their scouting techniques and their their ability to rest players and uh the ball movement over the last 10 years like and their defense in the first 10 years of the new millennium like they've been amazing in a lot of different ways and and ultimately like every spurs conversation has talked about how distinct their culture is but i think the year of Kawhi, what we've learned is that they're not really any different from any other great team and like it, it the superstars at the center of this are what make this go. And um, as soon as Kawhi stepped away, the Spurs began to look mortal again. And that it, it in one respect, it shows the, the limits of, of all the intangible stuff that we always talk about with the Spurs. And in another respect, though, it does make you appreciate 
just how distinct like Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili were. And it, like that talking point generally makes me kind of nauseous, but it's very real. And I think if I were a Spurs fan, I would be kind of romanticizing that as opposed to like lashing out at Kawhi. Oh my goodness. I, am I hearing what I think I'm hearing? Are you lionizing Tim Duncan? Oh, I'm trying is... to throw you a bone. I know this is a hard day for you. No, this is beautiful. And I think you're on to something with like pushing back a little bit on the mystique and the myth of the franchise, right? But I do think, uh, you know, culture doesn't last forever. It certainly right. stems from your best players. And it's not an all or nothing thing either, right? Like you can have a great culture and then it can slip back and be just a good culture, you know, and or it can, you know, fall apart when Kawhi Leonard goes off. And, you know, does this unexpected twist of his career that nobody really saw coming. I think I would still rather have San Antonio's culture today than Definitely. like 27 teams around the league, even with just their current uh, group uh, of stars, which aren't on the same level as like Boston's collection of talent or Golden State's collection of talent. And, uh, you know, I think just because Golden State has an amazing culture right now, that's no guarantee they're still going to have that in five years. And I think maybe that's the lesson, right, is that you know, culture, it, it can come and go. It can be expressed more forcefully at times uh, than others. But, uh, you know, to me, for San Antonio, this whole period of the last two or three years, and I've kind of hinted at this and joked about it uh, in the last couple of months, it's only going to serve, you know, Tim Duncan's legacy the worse yeah. this gets, right? And I think, uh, you know, and, and that same would thing... Be, that's my point. On the culture side is I think that a lot of times... People talk about the NBA as if it's a player's league and point to the Spurs as the exception to the rule, when in reality, it was always Duncan who who was kind of the, the cornerstone you. of that culture. And in the same way that I think if you're talking about the Warriors, the cornerstone is Steph. It's not Steve Kerr. It's not Bob Myers. It's definitely not Joe fucking Lacob. Like, it all starts with Steph, and he's kind of the new Duncan, and... uh and Kawhi looked like he fit that mold until he didn't, and that's fine. He can go do his own thing. Um, but it is, like, on some level, the, the same rules apply to San Antonio that apply to everybody else. That's that's yeah. my only point. I think when you're saying, like, it's a player's league, but the Spurs are the exception, the people who say that are the people who don't understand how good of an individual player Tim Duncan was because they were yeah. bored by his game because they didn't care about defense because they only care about, you know, 40-point explosions and rim-rocking dunks and sneaker commercials and all the stuff that, you know, Tim Duncan just, you know, never really had any time for. I mean, he was obviously an A-list, first ballot Hall of Famer, like no questions asked, and they did build the whole thing around him. And even his ability, his longevity wound up getting boring, right? Guys like you were like, oh, no, the Spurs again. Here we go, <laughs> 2013 to 14. Like, yeah, those That's teams were amazing. Quote. In that voice, that was me in 2014. Absolutely. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, I think when you look forward, though, for Kawhi, he's going to be in a leader, leadership position in Toronto. How does he respond? First of all, God, is he, he happy? <laughs> you, you know, you brought that up. Second of all, is he healthy with his quad? Third of all, can he stay healthy after all these other injury issues he had over the course of his career? It's not like this is the first time he's had health issues. So there are going to be some concerns there in terms of how he settles in and, you know, whether he is, you know, checked into his new environment. 
we should give Paul George credit in Oklahoma City. Like they welcomed him with open arms. They kind of bent over backwards to bring him to the Thunder and make him feel welcome. But yep. he also sort of like opened his mind and heart to them too, Completely. right? Completely. Like he- and that's not happening whatsoever with Kawhi. Granted, it's early going here, but that was my thought too. It's like Paul George a year ago sounded a lot more excited about joining the Thunder than Kawhi. I mean, we haven't heard Kawhi speak in 12 months, so it's not a fair comparison. But I mean, who like that? That's the bar, and Kawhi is still a long ways away from from hitting like Paul George level of excitement and buy-in. Should Duncan come out of retirement for next season? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I'm at. If if everyone's like just anxiously waiting for me to be upset and cry on this podcast, this is what I was looking out. for. Yeah, that's a completely irrational suggestion. Sure, make the case. Look, if ESPN is going to run with the headline, should Kobe come back to play with LeBron? I think it's a more reasonable thing to say, like, (laughs) plug Duncan in for 12 to 15 minutes, defense, you know, like late career KG. I'm sure he could still handle the minutes and have a great real plus minus even at his current age. He can't be that much worse than Powell at this point. Exactly. And can you imagine the fans, especially after the Kawhi thing, needing (laughs) somebody to love? (laughs) The the people of San Antonio, I mean, they're going to be nice to DeMar. I don't think they're really going to embrace him. They're going to be channeling all their energies towards Manu. There's no doubt about it. Just drop Tim Duncan back in the post-retirement comeback Tim Duncan. Uh, That would be phenomenal. And it's truly sad that I'm even putting this out there in public. What can I do? (laughs) Hey, I have a... I have a question for you, though, and this okay, is serious because we're talking about Kawhi's red flags, right? Sure. This is clearly the turning point moment of his career. Everyone can agree on that. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be a Hall of Famer? Do you Would you bet that he's definitely going to be a Hall of Famer? Because everyone likes to do that whole thing of like Andre Iguodala could be like the only finals MVP not to make the Hall of Fame, right? Or like Derrick Rose, MVP, you know, he might not make sure. the Hall of Fame. You look at Kawhi. Um, Finals MVP, obviously, very early in his career. Career's kind of going sideways. He's getting close to his prime. He's changing teams. Maybe he's going to change teams again next summer. Is he a Hall of Famer? Like, would you bet on it? I'm really glad you asked that because that's another thing, as I was writing this quick winners and losers this morning, that I it kind of popped into my head. Like, I don't know what the ceiling is with Kawhi's career, and I don't know where we are now. I think... You know, if things go sideways from here, I would probably guess no. Now, the the thing that I would add is that I'm kind of like a stricter Hall of Fame grader than a lot of people around the NBA seem to be. Oh, yeah. You don't want to let anybody in. I don't. I don't. But I, I think Kawhi, you know, you could make the case that just defensively he should be in there because he's he's the best defender on the wing that we've had since Scottie Pippen and it and is historically dominant in that role um but you know if if the rest of his career kind of fizzles out I I I don't think he gets in and I think people are going to remember him more in the like Penny Hardaway what might have been what the hell happened mold granted Penny Hardaway didn't go AWOL and and like go off the grid halfway through his career his was just injuries but like I think that's more the the narrative that we would be telling um, if if that's what happens from here. So basically, like I would say, he needs a couple more elite seasons before we start to look at him as a Hall of Fame player. There's no question though that he has Hall of Fame talent, and that's not true of like 
most of last year's All-Star game. I, Kawhi is a cut above even the best players. Yeah, I mean, all jokes aside, I hope he pulls his career together and makes the whole thing. I he really was, do. Yeah, he was so good. Like, that final year in San Antonio, he had hit another level offensively where he was probably the best isolation scorer in basketball, and he was just just gunning people down every night for a Spurs team that was not very good and ended up winning close to 60 games. Like, he was incredible, and that that player makes the whole league more interesting. Yeah, because, you know, we talk about all this, like, soap opera stuff, but, like, deep down, I'm in the Kevin Durant camp that what matters is the hoop. What matters is the ball. Kawhi is an unbelievable basketball player. He's had some great postseason moments. He's such a great individual player to match up with the A-list stars in a playoff series. He brings so much to the table. He was coming into his own as that lead scorer in the postseason, you know, before he had the ankle injury from Zaza. Uh, I would love to see you know more dominant years from Kawhi Leonard, uh, but it's it, it kind of struck me that I was even pondering this idea of the Hall of Fame because you know two years ago it seemed like a no brainer, and you know now y- you wonder like especially if if he doesn't really hit the ground running in Toronto like you know which direction does this go? Uh, he's not the type of player we expected to sort of be bouncing from place to place uh, this early in his career. But one follow up for you, Andrew, and this one's from Kinley. And he asks, will the Toronto Termites take the high road and love Kawhi wholeheartedly despite losing their beloved face of the organization in DeMar DeRozan? Is there any possibility that Kawhi will sign with the Raptors for more than one year? Um, what, they will what definitely do you think, take the high road. Are you kidding? You think Are they going to embrace him? Like, Is it going to just be Kawhi jerseys throughout the Air Canada Center? Or is there going to be a transition period, a feeling out period where sort of Kawhi has to prove himself? Look, man, this is the Raptors we're talking about. These are the termites we're talking about. This, these people have spent the last three or four years talking themselves into a team that was pretty clearly not legit and not going anywhere, but still took the time to email us on a weekly basis about how disrespectful we've been toward the Raptors. They are ready to love whoever they have. And if Kawhi's out there, like they are going to be all in the second he touches down in Toronto. Um, I mean, and that that's like, as far as him re-signing there, like that's a complete wild card. Who the hell knows? But <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Raptors fans will not be the problem that, that sends him elsewhere. Man, like just hearing you say that, I was nodding along, and then I was thinking, like, this has some heartbreak potential. Like, this, I'm sure, th- but it- <laughs> this this could wind up shattering the termites if he leaves. Yeah. Well, speaking of DeRozan, actually, I have one one more question before we close out here. Um, do you think right now that they are the second best team in the East? Do you think Kawhi puts them over the Sixers? Yes, I do. Um, And I think if you're a Raptors fan, your answer is we were already ahead of the Sixers, right? I mean, in the standings. I I actually think that's fair. What I was saying on the podcast earlier this week, like, I think that the Sixers have the second highest upside in the East, but I could see them finishing like fourth in the East next year and being the scariest playoff team outside of Boston. Yeah, I mean, I think they're deep. They have a lot of really good players. I, I'm I'm wondering what it's going to look like with the coaching transition, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be a step back because so many of the faces are returning. Yeah, and then I think the upside of Kawhi sniping against you know all these Eastern Conference wings that are just trash uh, is very very high. I mean, like the best case scenario for Toronto is they're the number one seed in the East and Kawhi is an MVP candidate. Like that is on the table. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but. Uh, I think more realistically, 
you know, he's starting for the Eastern Conference All-Star team. They're the number two seed. Uh, they have a very, very good defense, and they've got a strong offense. And uh, I think the good part for them is that this trade does uh, get rid of an awful lot of baggage that had been, you know, kind of pent up over these last few years. Like firing Casey was one move to sort of, you know, change in the culture. But if you bring back all the same players, you're going to have those same questions hanging over you the entire time. And there was no reason for anyone to believe that they were going to be able to get over the hump with, with this same group. I mean, Boston's just better than them, and they're you know more, more of a playoff team than Toronto is. And I think this move, it, it ditches all of DeRozan's baggage. Yes, it welcomes in a new type of baggage in, in whatever Kawhi is bringing with him. Uh, but I think the time for major change was immediately following that sweep. I mean, that was such an embarrassing kind of disgraceful performance uh, from a team that has had such a great regular season and really thought the world of itself. Yeah. Uh, and I think Masai was very calculating in realizing we have to make fundamental changes to this group. He got rid of a contract that I don't like with DeRozan. He upgrades the roster. He adds depth by getting two players who can really give you playoff minutes. I mean, to me... Raptors fans should be elated. Like, get over the DeRozan stuff as quickly as possible and be happy here. It's a huge win, and we are all rooting for this to work because if it works, that means that Kawhi is the same player he was two years ago, and that's a win for the whole league. So hopefully good things happen in Toronto. As for the San Antonio side, I want to close out with a clip that we were sent uh, I think it was like two or three months ago, and I just didn't have any way to work it into the podcast, but I think you probably know what I'm talking about here. It's from Tim in Australia who says, hey guys, I was going through some of the archives and came across this take from Ben Greased Pig Golliver. I was surprised to say the least. I'm glad that I finally know how he truly feels. So here we go. Let me play it real quick. Look, what I'm saying is DeRozan as the face of the franchise. He's been a career guy there. Fans love him. He was so good in game two. He was giving me delusional thoughts. I mean, he's obviously a good defender. And I've defended DeMar very consistently. I have a suspicion, though, that DeMar DeRozan is going to be the GOAT. DeRozan's improved three-point shooting every year, Andrew. We know that. We've seen it so many times from him. There he is, getting his MJ on. So, I mean, everything that we're saying about him, it's like he's so ahead of the game. It's not even funny. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> There's the lost DeRozan take, the new face of the San Antonio Spurs. Are you? How are you feeling right now? Are you concerned that someone is monitoring you that closely? Because I would be a little freaked out in your shoes. Well, I think, first of all, that was awesome that he put that together. <laughs> Second of all, I had been listening to podcasts warning about what could happen where they can, like, manipulate your voices during political elections, you know, yeah. to, like, put out attack ads where, like, it sounds like you're, you know, in favor of killing babies or something when you're obviously not. And Any he open just floor dr- listeners have a lot of material to work with if they're looking to, like, frame us for a crime or ruin our careers. Yeah, no question. That felt like an attack ad. Like that, <laughs> I need to like issue a press release distancing myself from that and like calling for a congressional investigation. But you mentioned he was from Australia, Andrew. I want to give a quick shout out to two of our Open Floor Globe listeners 
Declan and Liam. They traveled all the way from New Zealand to Las Vegas. They tracked me down last night after the Blazers championship victory outside of Thomas and Mack Center. They gave a shout out to all of their fellow Open uh, Floor Globe members on my Instagram page. It gave me goosebumps, Andrew. I mean, this worldwide <laughs> movement you were that thrilled. we're overseeing. I, I can I can testify to how excited you were to meet people from other, the other side of the world who came to Vegas for all that. No, it was great. Like they're big Steven Adams fans. So I told them all about Oklahoma City and the boot barn. And I asked them, you remember how I did the New New Zealand radio? And you know, I heard that commercial for flavored nuts. I asked them like if flavored nuts was a big deal. They confirmed it's a huge deal over there in New Zealand, but they do understand why it sounds a little bit weird when uh, you know, people are raving about flavored nuts. Regardless, it was great to see them. It was great to close out Las Vegas. I'm glad we could get this podcast in. I appreciate the Spurs, you know. Uh, you know, getting this done promptly so we could, you know, fire off this emergency pod and then move forward with our summers. Yes. Shout out to the listeners in New Zealand, number one. And number two, now that Kawhi is finally traded, you can finally leave Las Vegas. So congratulations, sir. Go, Go to the moon landing site. I'm so excited. And while I'm there... Open Floor listeners can go to our Apple Podcast page, search Open Floor, uh, scroll down. It says rate and review, tap five stars. We really appreciate the reviews. And it's so simple to do, Andrew. It's like, uh, you know, the the Postmates of podcasts. We love (laughs) the feedback. Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. Yeah, now the offseason is real. I will talk to you soon. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.